0: Last week, we looked at another aspect of prayer. Prayer is doing this thing for other people before God. Does anyone remember the word? Sandra? Interceding. Very good. All right. And uh, maybe one of the kids. What does intercede mean? It's not a word we use regularly. What does intercede mean? Expanded to the to the older kids then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, going between, going before God on behalf of someone else. And tonight we're going to look at another aspect of what prayer is. And I want us to see tonight that prayer means asking God for wisdom. I don't know if you've ever been training someone how to do something, and they sort of expect you to do all the work for them. You say, here's, we're going to do it, and you kind of expect them to participate, and their response is just sort of like sit back and sort of wait for you to show them every step of the process. I encountered this a lot when I was fixing computers in past years. I would ask questions like, did you make sure that the power was on? Did you try turning it off and then turning it back on? Did you uh, write down what the problem was so that I have some clue of what was going on? And a lot of times people are just like, nope, I expected you to fix it. They just sort of threw their hands up and and it it was all on me to take care of. I think we'll see the connection to what we're saying to that illustration and the passage that we're going to look at tonight here in a few minutes. But before we get to Genesis 24, I want us to consider a a related passage. So James one five is a verse that you're probably familiar with, and I'll just quote it for you. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so if God says he will generously give us wisdom if we ask, then what does that asking for and receiving of wisdom look like? Is it sort of like we're like a a cup or a bowl and God just sort of pours the wisdom into us when we ask? or what does it look like? I think that if we turn to Genesis 24 we will see a pattern for seeking wisdom from God in prayer. And I think that we'll see in Genesis 24 that it it includes at least three things. The first is to obey before you pray. The second is to pray for God's will. And then the third is to check your work. And I'll explain those as we come to each of them. So let's start with the first one. Obey before you pray. So Genesis chapter 24. Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. He said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant said, Suppose she's not willing to follow me back to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath, only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Why do I say obey before you pray? Because his prayer is not going to come until verse 12, but he is given instructions in verses 1 through 9. So the first thing I think we see from verses 1 through 9 is that we need to do what we have been told to do. And what was it that Abraham told uh, this servant to do? He said, go find a wife for my son Isaac. I think we have to recognize that we have to do what we've been told to do, even if it costs us. And I think the significance of this that we might miss is that this servant, many believe, is the same man who's spoken of in Genesis chapter 15. Let me just read one verse from you there. Abraham speaks of his childlessness, and he says in Genesis 15 and verse two, "Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus." Assuming that this is the same man, and many believe that he is, consider the situation. Abraham doesn't have a son, so this guy is going to get everything that Abraham had. Abraham was rich. Remember? he and Lot parted ways because there wasn't enough grazing room for all their flocks. And that was like having a million dollars in those days. And so here's this servant. He's going to get everything that Abraham has. What does God do? What happens to correct Abraham's not having any kids? Who does he give? Isaac. What does that then mean for this servant? He gets nothing. And on top of that, Abraham says, go find a wife for my son Isaac, the one who replaced you, so that now not only are you not getting anything, but he's going to get married and have kids, and you're for sure not going to get anything. Think about how you would have felt in that situation. Would it have been hard to obey? But he obeyed. How do we know that he obeyed? We'll see that in just a moment, but I think we have to recognize we have to obey even if there are obstacles. What's the obstacle? Verse 5, What if she won't go? I find her. She's the one, but she won't come back. Should I take Isaac there? And Abraham says, absolutely not. God called me out of that place to this place, so don't take Isaac back there. I think obeying before you pray is not only doing what you've been told to do, but also keeping your promises. Look at verse 10. Or verse 9 is the oath that he swears. He swore to him concerning this matter. We won't really go into detail in it, but the the place your hand under my thigh. There's a lot of dispute about that, but basically it's an idea of he's swearing an oath connected with Abraham's person, and he's saying, because God has made these promises to you, I'm going to swear an oath to you, and I'm going to fulfill and uphold what God has promised for you, and I'm going to be an instrument in accomplishing that. I'm going to find a wife for your son, part of continuing your line of what God wants to happen for your family to become the nation of Israel. Keep your promises. Would this have been a hard thing for him to do? I'm sure it would have been. I think God also calls us to keep our promises as well, though. We make promises to other people. It can be from something as serious to, I will love and cherish you, a wedding vow, to something as seemingly unimportant as, hey, I'll do something for you this week. Here's my list of things to get done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow up we should be very careful to make sure that we seek to fulfill the things that we say that we're going to do. And this is a challenge because it's easy for us to make promises and then not keep them. And I recognize that being human, we don't foresee every circumstance, that we sometimes, uh, things prevent us, sickness or whatever prevent us from keeping our word. But I think God calls us to keep our promises, even as this servant kept the oath that he made Abraham. We also, of course, and I think this is where this ties in, we need to keep our promises to God. Because Abraham was the chosen person of God through whom the nation of Israel was going to come, the servant wasn't just making a promise to Abraham, he was making a promise in God's sight. And I think this is where the warnings in Ecclesiastes 5 come in, don't make an oath lightly. Don't make a promise before God and say, I was just kidding, I had my fingers crossed, try to get out of it, you know? We need to keep our promises. So why is it important that we should obey before we pray for wisdom? Because if we're not doing what we've been told to do, and if we're not keeping the promises that we've made in God's sight, why do we expect that he's going to bless us and give us wisdom? And if he does, why would we expect that that would help us if we're not doing the things that he's already told us to do, and then we say, tell me something else to do, why Why would I do that any more than the things He's already revealed to me? The second point, I think, is in verses 12 and 14, that we need to pray God's will. Just background in verses 10 and 11. The servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city of the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And so, there's a lot that's summarized in those two verses. Think about the distance from Canaan all the way over to where Ur of the Chaldees would have been. This would have been probably approximately where Babylon was located, near uh, the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. This would have been a journey of several hundred miles. It's not like the servant said, okay, I'll do this, and he made one journey, and then he was there. This was a long journey. That would have taken months for him to fulfill the promise that he had made. But you come to verse 11, and he's arrived there, and he's waiting. What does he pray? Why should we say, why do I say pray God's will? How do we know God's will, first of all? We know God's will by the clear commands of Scripture, by principles from passages that we look at, like this one by making application of those things to our lives and making decisions within the boundaries that have been established by that framework. So why should we pray God's will, or how do we pray God's will? We pray for success in doing what we've been told to do. Verse 12, he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. So what's he praying? He's praying for God to give him success in what he's supposed to do. Now, why is this important? Why would he pray this way? He would pray this way because we need help to obey. There's many times when we know what we're supposed to do and we need help to accomplish it, even, either because we're not quite sure how to go about it or because we know how to go about it and there's part of us that doesn't want to, and so we need God's help to obey. What else do we know in connection with this? God wants us to obey, and so he will help us if we ask. I think we also have to recognize that when he's asking for help in this way, he and we should not ask for whatever we want, at least in the context of this passage. is a very narrow, very specific request that he's making. He's not saying, God find me a wife, God make me rich, God make something happen to Isaac, so I get all of the things that were going to come to me beforehand. He's saying, help me do this one task that Abraham had set for me. Furthermore, He's not asking for something that's against God's clear will. Now, in his day, the way that he knew what God's will was, was that he was obeying his master, Abraham, who was serving God, and God spoke to Abraham at various points in various times, and God had spoken to Abraham, it is my will, it is my purpose, it is what's going to happen, that you will become a great nation. For him to become a great nation, Isaac needs to find a wife and have kids. And so, this servant is praying for something that is according to God's will not against God's will so pray God's will for success in what you've been told to do pray God's will furthermore for him to be faithful to his promises look at the second part of verse 12 show loving kindness to my master Abraham so what's he praying he's praying according to God's character what sort of God is God he's a God who is faithful and so when he comes to God and he says, show loving kindness to Abraham, he's appealing to God's character and saying, God, you are a God who is faithful. God, you are a God who behaves in certain ways. Do that again. Behave in that way toward Abraham. Furthermore, he is calling on God to keep the promises in the context of the relationship that he has made. Consider uh, another story, somewhat similar, in which Moses intercedes for the people of israel when they had sinned god said i'm going to wipe them out i'll start over with a new nation you'll be the father of that new nation moses said no lord those are your people you have a relationship with those people and so abraham's servant is saying give me success but in giving me success you will show your character and the relationship that you have to abraham so he's praying for god's will God, you want Abraham to become a great nation, so I need success in finding a wife for Isaac, and I need to find the right person from the right family who's going to go back with me this long journey and potentially never see her family again. God, help me find the right person. Give me success according to your character." And then verse 13 and 14 is probably a part we're familiar with from from stories in in Sunday school or, or in church. I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. May it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Now, we're familiar with that request. And the, the third point that I want to make from this passage, and perhaps the longest point, is where I think would be a correction to what we might start assuming when we see this. When we look at this, we might look at it and we say, all right, he asked God, she, uh, he asked God to show him a sign about which girl is going to be the right wife for Isaac. That's what it sounds like. And if you remember a few weeks ago, what did I say about that? Don't put out a fleece. So how do you reconcile these two passages? I think there's a couple of points that connect the two things. One is the fact that this servant of Abraham is living in a time when he didn't have the Bible to create a framework for him to make certain decisions. And he was living in a time when God was doing something very specific with a very specific nation and family, and he was asking God for guidance about that particular thing. Furthermore. Consider the contrast between the person here and Gideon. What's the contrast? Gideon was someone who was doubting God and disobeying God. What's this servant doing? He's trusting God and he's obeying God. How do we know that? He's trusting God because he's following what Abraham wants him to do. He's obeying God by following his master. He's also trusting God by asking in prayer, show me what I ought to do, give me success. So there's a difference in who was praying there's a difference in what was being prayed. Here he's saying, guide me. In the example of Gideon, what's Gideon basically saying? God, go pick somebody else. He keeps giving God an out. If it's this, then I, it's not me. If it's this, then it's not me. If uh, all of these things he kept doing because he didn't want to do what God had told him to do. Whereas this servant is saying, God, help me to do the thing that you've told me to do. The third Reason that this is different from the story of Gideon that we looked at is the fact of what he does afterward. He makes sure that what he thinks is the answer from God is in fact the answer from God and not just trusting that his desires, his intuition, his feelings about it were correct. Why do I say that? Look at what happens next. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. The servant ran to meet her and said, Let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord, and she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw and drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. So what's the first test of whether she is the one that he is seeking? The first test was whether the specific request he had asked from God was answered in the way that he had asked it. And was it? Well, if you look at verse 17, he says, Can I drink? She says, drink. And then she says, I will draw also for your camels. Now, the thing that sometimes we emphasize in Sunday school is how thirsty the camels were and all this sort of thing, which is true. This was a lot of work. And I think the important connection here is I think it's revealing something of her character. When he is saying, God, show me the right person, I don't think it's just sort of pick someone out of a hat who happens to be wandering by saying, show me a person who's going to make a good wife for Isaac someone who's going to have this attitude of service and obedience and and, and following properly. And so, did the answer match what he had prayed for? I think we have to ask ourselves that as well. If I pray for something from God, whatever it is, and I believe that I receive an answer, does the answer match what I had prayed for? If the answer does not match, then there's a couple of questions that we could ask ourselves. Did I pray for the right thing? Because it's possible that we could be praying for the wrong thing. Did I pray at the right time? God, I want this thing, but maybe it's not the time that God wants you to have that particular thing. Did I pray in the right way? Did I come before God saying, God, I really want this thing, but I recognize that you're in control, and this may not be what you have for my life, or to come before God, I'm like, God, you've got to give me this right now. I mean, what's our attitude? What's our approach? What's the way that we're coming before God? And if the answer does match what you prayed for asked, if it is a yes, then how do you respond? Look at verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel, two bracelets for a wrist weighing 10 shekels in gold, and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she said, we have plenty of straw and feed, and room to lodge in, Look at his response in verses 26 and 27. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. So if the answer to your prayer is a yes, do you respond in thankfulness? Because that's how this servant responded, but that's a step that we often skip. I would also caution or help us to rec- or remind us that a yes to something that we pray may not always be the best thing for us. Why do I say that? People of Israel kept crying out for a king over and over and over again. What did God say was going to happen? He 's going to tax you, he 's going to draft your sons for war, take your daughters as servants. He gave them eventually a king in the form of Saul and Humanly speaking, that was not good for the people of Israel. Now, that was the precursor to David, whom God did appoint as a king, a man after God's own heart. And so it's not as though God appointing them a king was him giving in to a demand or a mistake, but I would just point out the fact that a yes to something that we pray is not always the best thing for us. So just something to to think about with that. But looking at this passage again, does the answer match what you prayed for? Yes, it did match what he prayed for. What was his response? He responded with thankfulness. But he didn't stop there, because this is where we often stop. Did I get a yes? Okay, good. Now I'm going to move on. But what does he do? He checks to see if the answer matches the general guidelines that he was given. We see this in verses 22 through 27. What was he looking for? Who are you? She needed to be from the right place. So he had to go to the right city. He was in the right city. She needed to be from the right family. She was from the right family. She was a a descendant of Abraham's relatives. She needed to have the right character. We saw that demonstrated in her attitude and responding to his request. And so, the servant was following the guidelines that he'd received both from Abraham and indirectly from God, not just sort of blindly following whatever Whoever walks up to the well, she's the right one, just because she matches this phrase that I was looking for. You had to check the rest of the qualifications. We'll see further that there's another step in just a second. For us today, I think that this is a step that we should take. If we believe that we have received yes in an answer to a prayer, does the answer fit within the boundaries of what we know God wants? If we pray to God, God... I want you to give me something, and we know that it's something that would be sinful, and it seems like God gives that to us. You know, let's say somebody's unhappy in their marriage. They say, God, I want you to help me find someone else that I can be happy with. And they meet someone at work. Okay, thank you for answering yes to this, God. Is that within the boundaries of what God wants? No, because God says, be faithful to your spouse. God says, you can't just go your own way and find someone else when there's a problem. So when when we see that context, we would know that that's not an answer from God. Even though the prayer I prayed seemed to be answered, yes, from my own thinking about it. Why is this step important? This step is important because it's easy for us to interpret circumstances or words or whatever it is around us in such a way that it matches the things that we're wanting. And in those cases, this apparent yes to a prayer is something that we've made up in our minds to match our desires, or it's perhaps a lie that someone else has told us. You know, For example, there have been instances where I've been talking to people and they've said, oh, you know, so-and-so said that my relative is in heaven. Well, did he believe in Jesus? Did he show any signs of being a Christian? Well, no, but so-and-so said it, he's in heaven well, that's a lie that someone else had told them. And so this thing that they thought was a yes from God wasn't because God says you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. We have to be careful of apparent yeses and take the further step of checking whether it matches God's truth generally. And then I think we have to see, does the answer match this situation specifically? Why do I say that? Well, if you look down through the rest of the chapter, which I'm not going to take time to read, the thing that the servant was looking for, going back to what he had asked in verse 5, was, is she willing to come back with me? Because at the end of the day, she could be from the right family in the right city, have the right character, but if she's not willing to come back and marry Isaac, his journey's a failure, right? And in this particular case, it matched the situation because she was willing to leave her family She was willing to go. How do we know that? Uh, It says, he sort of recounts the story again up to verse 49, and he says um, in verse 58, will you go? And she said, I will go. And so that's what it it came down to. Until he heard that from the prospective answer to this prayer for a wife for Isaac, his job wasn't done, and his prayer wasn't fully answered, right? So she left her family. She left a familiar situation. Why, how do we know that she was willing to go? Her brother and her mother said, let her stay with us for a few days, say ten. Afterwards, she may go. He said, don't delay. Right after that, they asked, will you go? And she says, yes. Now think about this. From the perspective of Rebecca. I'm going to make a journey of hundreds of miles, and I'm never going to see my family again, most likely. Would that be a hard thing to say yes to? And so that commitment from her was a further confirmation that his job was done, that he had found the right person. And how do we know that all this came to pass? Because you see at the end of the chapter in verses 62 to 67, that... uh, that uh, she is married to Isaac and she becomes his wife, uh, she becomes Isaac's wife. So this, this journey that started out with Abraham saying, go, and the servant asking God for wisdom finds its fulfillment at the end of the chapter. So when we ask God for wisdom, and I, I recognize there's differences in the culture, in the situation, in many of these things from our regular day-to-day experiences, And yet I think that there are principles here that we can take away from it. We start, before we go to God and say, God, give me more wisdom, we start by making sure, am I obeying God and doing the things that he's already told me to do? Secondly, when we come with this prayer of wisdom, we pray it according to God's will. We don't pray it for things that are way out here saying, God, give me wisdom for how to do things that you've said not to do. God, give me wisdom for how to do things that are different from what you want me to do. We pray according to God's will. And then thirdly, if we think that God has given us a yes, we consider whether that matches up with other things we know from Scripture. Because God's not going to give us a yes that's a go-ahead to do something that He said we shouldn't do. God's not going to give us a yes that is away from the direction that He wants us to follow to grow in Christ. So do we seek wisdom from God carefully and thoughtfully like the servant did. If not, then we might be like the people I talked about at the beginning. Hey, my computer's broken. Did you, did, you, did you start with anything? No. They just throw their hands up and they say, it's all up to you. Do we treat God that way? God is the source of all good things in our life. God is the source of the wisdom that we need. And yet there is so much that he has already given to us and told us that it sometimes we're like, we're like people who ask for questions about how to fix things online. Hey, this is wrong with my car. If you took two seconds to search it, you would say, oh, it might be this, and you could go check that. God has given us far more important truth than his word, and a lot of times we say, God, give me wisdom, and it's almost as though God is standing there saying, I already did. So I would never discourage you from praying to God for wisdom, That being said, if God has given us so much wisdom, are we taking it and using it and then saying, God, help me understand the truth that you have given to me and follow you in the way that I ought? And so as we go to our time of prayer, consider that there are many parts of this passage that we could pray. For example, we could pray, Lord, help me to trust you like Abraham's servant did. Help me to trust you, even when obeying you is hard. Give me wisdom according to what the truth that I already know. Remind me of it. Bring it to my mind again. There's a number of different ways that we could pray this passage. So consider if there's some ways from this passage that you could work into your time of prayer. And as we as we go to our time of prayer, I just want to highlight a few things for you. Uh, I went by and saw Kathy today, Kathy Stanley. She's Uh, still over at Cherrywood. She's doing fairly well. Uh, She was saying that she thought she might be coming home today or tomorrow. Last time I talked with Mike, he thought she would be there a couple of weeks. So uh, continue to pray for her. Uh, Also pray for uh, Randy Hodson's dad, Jim. He's on hospice over in Indiana. And so just be in prayer for him, just uh, uh, confidence in his spiritual state and also for help and strength that he might need.